for just a few minutes today, I would like to take my dignified hat off. I would like to take my sophisticated hat off for just a moment and just talk to you about the goodness and the greatness of our God. I think most of you have been to a, a basketball game or you've seen a basketball game where the home team in the final moments inbounded the ball. And they didn't have time to set their feet. They just caught the ball and threw it up toward the hoop. And as it went through the hoop, all of a sudden there was this ecstatic eruption of celebration. Most of us have been to a football game or seen a football game where the home team is driving down the field with two minutes left on the clock. And all of a sudden they call the field goal kicker out into the field and they hike the ball and he kicks the ball through the uprights causing the home team to win the victory and a, a static volcanic eruption of celebration followed. We all know what it's like to see the spectacular take place just in the nick of time to carry the home team over the edge of victory. And all of us have been part of those raucous celebrations that have come as a result of the glorious victory. Now, of course, we all celebrate differently in those moments. Some of us jump to our feet and raise our hands. Some of us clap our hands like this. Some of us yell and scream. Some of us paint our faces, run in the field and tear the goalposts down. We all celebrate differently. But we all have one thing in common. Something has come through just in the nick of time. And it's worthy to be celebrated. I bring this up because for the past six weeks, we've been in this series called Living on a Prayer. And we've been studying this glorious prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. But today we come to the very end of this prayer. It's the grand finale. It's the final line of the prayer. Jesus said, pray this way. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, look, after you pray to the person of prayer, it's our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. God, there's no one like you on this planet. And after you pray the program of prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And after you pray for the provision of God in prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I'm not looking to tomorrow. I'm looking for your provision today, God. And after you pray for the protection of prayer, Lord, lead me not into temptation, those snares the enemy has for me, but lead me into those things that are going to build me up and grow me up in my faith. Jesus says, after you prayed all that stuff, don't say amen too quickly. If you'll just pause for a moment and just ponder the greatness, the goodness, the majesty, if you just ponder all the amazing things that God has done for you, you're going to start to feel a groundswell of praise welling up in your soul. This swelling phenomenon has a, a theological name. It's called a doxology. The word doxology is taken from two Greek words. Doxo, which means to praise. And then logos, which means to speak or utter. So a doxology is an utterance of praise. But it's not like regular praise. It's not like normal praise. It's the kind of praise that happens when you hit the final shot with no time left on the clock. 
It's the kind of praise that happens when the kicker kicks the ball through the uprights with no time left on the clock, giving the, the home team the edge of victory, putting them over the edge of victory. Now, you clapped and did little golf claps for all the field goals all game long. The kicker may have kicked three or four field goals, and you clap, but not like this one. This one elicits the most praise out of you because it puts your team over the edge of victory. This is the one you go ballistic on. This is the one you pray, really praised on because God came through for you just in the nick of time. A doxology is designed to let you know, catch this, that you win. A doxology lets you know that your team wins. But no matter how messy your mess is right now, God is bigger than your mess. No matter how big your mountain is right now, God can knock that mountain down to the earth. That's a doxology. And when you have a doxology, when you realize how good God is, sometimes all you can do, friends, is what David did during his doxology, is lift his hands up and say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. That's what you call a doxology. Unless you think I'm preaching false doctrine today, doxologies are found all throughout the Bible. Angels do doxologies. When the angels showed up at the birth of Christ, they were so overwhelmed by the goodness of God, that God loved human beings so much that he would show up in all his glory in human flesh and become Jesus. And they cried out, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. You see, the angels just couldn't keep it in. It got so good to them on the inside, it welled up like a volcano and it spilled out of them. Doxologies happen in heaven. In Revelation 5, the angels and the elders all gathered around the throne. And they're going to think about and ponder and muse upon the goodness, the greatness, the majesty of God. And they could no longer hold it in. Verse, 13, uh, verse 12 says, Worthy is the Lamb, they said, who was slain to, re to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then the next verse, they start over again. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Friends, you know you're doing a doxology when one word isn't enough. You start throwing stuff out. Blessing, glory, honor, power. You know, this, that, that, this. And then when you finish that, you start over again. Blessing, honor, glory, power, this, that. You're everything to me, God. It's welling up inside of you. You can't keep it in. One time, David meditated. King David meditated on the greatness of God. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't keep it in. He broke out into his doxology in First Chronicles 29. Listen to what he says. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. Why is that important? Because when you're doing a doxology, you don't care who's listening. You do it for the whole church. Because God is that good to you. And David said, blessed are you. Lord, O oh Lord, our God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O oh Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Most of the time, David was the dignified king. He had to be kingly, but sometimes the goodness of God just got too good to him, and he couldn't help himself. He had to say, blessed are you, O Lord. I praise you in the assembly. He just couldn't help himself, friends. Ever get that way in your life? You just can't help yourself. You want to lift your hands and praise the Lord, no matter who's around you, because he's that good to you. 
Something's wrong with the Christian who always holds it in. Something's wrong with the Christian who chokes it back all the time. Every now and then you realize that the goodness of God, the greatness of God is so good and so great that you just can't help yourself. You feel that volcanic eruption of praise rising up inside of you. You got to lift your hands and praise the Lord. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. You just can't keep it in. One day, the brilliant, high IQ'd Apostle Paul. Now, some of us think they were pretty high IQ'd. They were pretty smart. Were peons compared to the Apostle Paul. He was brilliant. He was meditating one day on the glorious plan of God's salvation. How God had through the ages worked through the Jews and then to the Gentiles to create a plan of salvation. And when Paul thought about how amazing God is, how high the thoughts of God are, he couldn't help himself. He felt this volcanic eruption of praise welling up inside of him. And he said in Romans 11, who can measure the wealth and the wisdom and knowledge of God? Who can understand his decisions or explain what he does? Has anyone known the thoughts of the Lord or given him advice? Has anyone loaned something to the Lord that must be repaid? Everything comes from the Lord. All things were made because of him and will return to him. Praise the Lord forever. Amen. Even the brilliant apostle Paul couldn't keep it to himself when he thought about God. Hey, even the quiet disciples, some of you are quiet disciples. Even the quiet disciple, Jude, the one who didn't have too many words to say. Just one chapter in his entire New Testament book. When he mused on the goodness of God, he began to feel that inner volcano erupting inside of him. And he wrote in his one page book, verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Even the reserved, dignified disciple, when he became full of the thought of God, he had to give his doxology. And only after his praise to God did he say amen. You see, you don't end the prayer until you say, until you give God praise. You make sure you praise God before you say amen. Now, some of you are saying, Luke, you're stepping beyond your normal dignified behavior. Let me tell you why. Because every now and then, friends, you got to get funky with it. Every now and then, you got to get down with it. Every now and then, you got to get unsophisticated with it because it's just too good. And when you start to think about it, it just overwhelms you. The goodness of God overwhelms you. Some of you are too cute in your worship. Some of you are too cool in your worship. You're too pretty in your worship. I'm not suggesting that we should lose our dignity or our sense of decorum. But every now and then, God needs to know, hey, God, I saw you shoot that shot. Hey, God, I saw you kick that ball through the uprights. Hey, God, I saw you conquer death, hell, and the grave. And because you conquer, I conquer. Come on, somebody, give God a doxology today. A praise to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, come on, we all know this. When you go to a ball game, at the end of the game, you only care about one thing. We won. We win. I know there's this mindset that makes me puke going around these days. Every kid gets a trophy. 
Every participant gets a trophy. No, you play the game to win. Paul said you run the race to win. If you're going to run it, win it, he said. On ESPN, they only show the highlights of the winning play. The field goal is up. It's good. We won. Friends, I can't find a doxology in the Bible where we lose. I can't find a doxology in the Bible where we're supposed to be discouraged and downtrodden because God didn't make the final shot. No, a doxology glorifies God because he wins. He's the ultimate winner. He's the ultimate conqueror. And because he wins, we win. Come on. So I don't know what you're facing today. It may be hard. It may be difficult. It may be life or death. But I'm here to tell you today, friends, if you're walking with Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're perfect in life. It just means that your mission in life is clear. Your focus is clear. You get up every day and say, God, I live my life for you. If that's the way you're living, I want to tell you, you win in the end. You are with Jesus. You win in the end. So, I need to take a little tranquilizer here. Calm me down a little bit. <clears throat> I want to give you four reasons why I think you ought to do a doxology. I want to give you four reasons why I think that if you follow Jesus, you ought to feel a volcanic eruption of praise for God swelling up in your soul. I want to give you four reasons why you should stand up and slap somebody today. I mean, I mean slap some high five today. I mean, excuse me. That maybe you should step out of your comfort zone and give God the praise he deserves. And all four of these reasons are found in the final line of the Lord's Prayer. Here's the first one. The first reason I think if you're, if you love Jesus, you should feel this volcanic eruption of praise rising up in your soul is because God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Jesus said to pray in verse 13, for yours is the kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. The word kingdom simply means rule or authority. It is referring to God's sovereignty and the fact that he rules over all of his creation. Which means every other kingdom either has already fallen short or will fall short to his kingdom. And therefore, every attempt of anybody to raise their hand against God will always be defeated. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar is what you might call a fool. He was a foolish man. He thought he could set up a rival kingdom and subvert the kingdom of God. And when he finally came to his senses... And when God finally healed him of his insanity, listen to what he wrote. Verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleased with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, King Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and, and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now he had to lose his mind before he learned that. 
He had to spend seven years in an insane asylum before he understood that you cannot raise your kingdom against God's kingdom. And if you try to raise your little puny kingdom against God's kingdom, you lose. You lose every time. So can I help you? Can I help you not wind up in an insane asylum? Can I help stop you from winding up in a sanatorium and losing your mind? Always make sure that your kingdom serves his kingdom and never ask his kingdom to serve your kingdom because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He is sovereign. He's the sovereign king. You know, back in the 1980s, the king, Elvis Presley, did an estate sale. One of his cars sold for $277,000. That's back in the 1980s. One of his outfits sold for $113,000. And by the time that auction was done, over $5 million worth of the king's goods were sold. Just one problem. The king is dead. The king is dead. He's gone. But friends, I know a king. I know a king who still lives. I know a king who died and rose again. And he still sits on the throne today. And he will forever sit on the throne. We've heard a lot lately about the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is the highest court of all. Now, there are many lower courts that lead up to the Supreme Court. And these lower courts make a lot of judgments, a lot of rulings and decisions. But if the Supreme Court decides to hear your case, then what the lower courts have ruled is irrelevant. Because only what the Supreme Court says sticks. No matter how powerful those courts are, the Supreme Court has the final word in your life if your case makes it to the Supreme Court. Listen, I don't know which court has ruled today on your circumstances. Maybe it's the court of your employer has ruled that you'll never have a new position in the company. Maybe the court of your finances has ruled that you'll never have a better lifestyle. Maybe the court of your doctor has ruled that your disease is incurable. Or maybe you'll never have children in your family. But friends, at least appeal it to the Supreme Court so that God can decide what the final rendering is going to be. Because if he takes the case, it doesn't matter what the court of your doctor said or the court of your employer said. He has the final word in your life because he's sovereign. He rules over all. That's why you should give him a doxology today. Because God always has the final word. He sits on the highest throne and he is sovereign. There is another reason why I think that you ought to experience a volcanic eruption of praise to God in your soul today. And that is because God is all powerful. God is all powerful. Say that with me. All powerful. Say it again. All powerful. Jesus said in verse 13, pray for thine is the kingdom and the power. But what are you saying? What are you praying? The awesome thing about God's power is that he is not an, a feeble king. He is not an impotent God or king. He has the power that he needs to pull off what his kingdom needs pulled off. He has the power to, to do what his kingdom needs to get done. In 1 Peter 5, uh, the apostle Peter says his words, All power, all power belongs to God, now and forever. Amen. Let me ask you a question. If all power belongs to God, then how much power does Satan have? 
Honestly, if God has all power, how much power does Satan have? He has none. The only power he has is the power that we give him. The power of lying to us, listening to his accusations. Or the only power he has is the power that God allows him to have. And it's limited power. And here's the cool thing about God's power. God is so power, powerful that he took the devil's rebellion and used the devil's rebellion to bring him greater glory. God greater glory. God is so powerful that he allowed created human beings to resist his kingdom and then use their resistance to further his own kingdom. For an example, remember Caesar? God took Caesar, this godless king in Rome, and Caesar passed a law requiring every citizen to return to their hometown to be taxed. And this was in order to expand Caesar's own little kingdom. Well, that caused Joseph and Mary to go back to their hometown of Bethlehem to be counted. And that caused God's ancient prophecy to be fulfilled, that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. You see, God can take the evil that mankind has, has planned and turn it around and use it for his good. I'm saying, friends, that we have a king. We have a God who has the power to pull off what his kingdom needs to get done. Some of you know the fr about the French philosopher Voltaire. Ever heard that name before? Some of you studied him in college. He was an atheist. He hated God. He hated God's word. He said, there is no God, there is no Bible, really, that's, the Bible's not true. Anyone who believes in God or the Bible is a puny-minded human being. But as it goes with every human being, when it came time for Voltaire to die, he laid on his deathbed in desperate need of God, screaming and hollering. Voltaire's nurse was quoted as saying, I never want to see a man die like this man died, because he died in agony, foaming at his mouth with hell looming in his eyes. Here's a man who cursed God. He cursed God's word. He said before he died, in a hundred years, the Bible will be a forgotten book. After Voltaire died, for nearly a hundred years, his home was used as a book depository for the French Bible Society, and they sold Bibles out of the very house where he cursed God one day. That's how powerful God is. Today it's a museum. But friends, God is so powerful that he can take people who cuss him out and use their home to mass produce Bibles to send all across the planet. That's how powerful God is. God is so powerful that he allowed created men and women to condemn Jesus to death and then use their condemnation for our salvation. So I'm here to tell you today, don't get upset because evil people are doing evil things to you. Just go to your all-powerful God and appeal to him and ask him to turn their evil into good. Come on, say a big amen. That's why you should praise God today. Well, there's a third reason that I think you should do a doxology for God today. Why you should feel this volcanic eruption of praise rising up in your soul. And that is because God is glorious. God is glorious. Jesus said, pray for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word glory means weight. The word glory means heaviness. I grew up in the 70s. In the 70s, there was an expression. Man, that dude is heavy. Remember that? That dude is heavy. Now, we weren't talking about their weight. All the time. Sometimes we were, but not all the time. More so, we were talking about 
there was something significant about them. Either they were wealthy, they were, they were heavy, they were intelligent or talented. Weightiness had to do with significance. Significance. To call something glorious is to reference the display of significance. You've heard people talk about the Shekinah glory of God. What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the visible manifestation of God's attributes. We're talking about his visible reality being made clear. Now, friends, if, if anything should give you a doxology today, this one should. It's God's glory. God's glory should give you a doxology. It's when the invisible God becomes visible for you. That's glory. It's when you can't see God doing anything and all of a sudden he shows up. That's glory. It's when you can't see any way out of your situation and he shows up and shows you a way out. That's glory. And he loves to show his glory. But there's a difference between man's glory and God's glory. You see, you and I have what we call ascribed glory. Meaning, we attribute glory to men and women based on what they can do or how they can act or how they can shoot baskets, or their talents, or their wealth, or their vocation. For an example, we say to a judge, Hello, your honor. We give him or her glory when we are in their courts. The honorable judge so-and-so, all rise, right? And we stand to ascribe glory to them. But when he or she takes the robe off, when they're walking on the street like other human beings, you can't tell them from any other human being. When a police officer is wearing that blue uniform and in that squad car and they turn those blue lights on and pull you over, you say, uh, yes, officer, how can I help you? But take the uniform off. Get him a regular car and you can't tell that police officer from any other person walking on the street. You see, we ascribe glory to them. When I was a kid, back in the 70s, People worshipped and adored a basketball player named Julius Irving. Dr. J, they called him. Dr. J was like a magician, a doctor on the basketball court. He could weave in and, 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 and surgically just drop the ball into the bucket. And people worshipped Dr. J. But then in the 80s, people were saying, Dr. Who? Because another man arrived on the scene. His airness, Michael Jordan. And people started worshiping and ascribing glory to Michael Jordan. But then in the 90s, move over Michael Jordan because the black mamba, Kobe Bryant, arrived on the scene. Kobe Bryant played for the Taliban. I mean the Lakers, excuse me, same thing. And people ascribed and put glory on Kobe Bryant until in the 2000s, another man arrived on the scene. He was called the King, LeBron James. And people worshiped and praised LeBron James. And friends, let me tell you something. Just as Dr. J and Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant couldn't keep their glory, LeBron James will not be able to keep his glory either because ascribed glory, it fades like the flower. You're a hero one day, you're a zero the next day. And by the way, that's why you should never get too proud. Because what goes up must come down. So every time God takes you a little higher in your business, you make sure you go lower. Every time God lifts you up, you make sure you go down. Because if you don't go down, God may take you down and you may never get back up again. So make sure you stay humble before God. Say a big amen. Because all our glory is ascribed glory.
But God is different. God doesn't have ascribed glory. God has intrinsic glory. What does that mean? Well, what wet is to water, what hot is to the sun, glory is to God. The sun doesn't have to try to be hot or stay hot. It is hot. Water doesn't have to try to be wet. It is wet. And God doesn't have to try to be glorious. He just is glorious. He is glorious. Now, we all know how this works. Some people have to try to look good, don't they? They spend hours in front of the mirror putting stuff on before they come to church. Because they want to look good. Other people, like my wife Angel, she just wakes up and goes, and she just looks good the way she is. That's my angel. I'm just telling you, I'm just, I'm just telling the truth and shame of the devil right now. That's all. Now, some people, like Angel, don't need to wear makeup. Some people ought to never leave home without it. Amen. Because some glory is ascribed glory and some glory is intrinsic glory. God's glory is intrinsic. He doesn't have to try to be anything. Here's the great definition of God. This is the closest definition of God in all the Bible. First Timothy 6. This is what it says. God, talk about glory. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in what? Unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. The Bible says that God is glorious. How glorious? He dwells in unapproachable light. That means he's brighter than the sun. Imagine a, a being who is so glorious, he created the sun because he's brighter than the sun. Now, you can't see the sun. You can't look at the sun. I mean, if our space shuttle gets within a million miles of the sun, it gets burnt to a crisp. And sometimes, sometimes people say, well, I saw the face of God. What are you talking about? You didn't see the face of God. God came to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ and wrapped himself in flesh because he would scare people to death as, as, as this unapproachable light. But he loved us so much, he came to show us what God is really like. Friends, he is the kingdom and the power and the glory. I want to say it one more time. God is awesome. God is awesome. He's glorious. So, if you call God awesome, don't call anything else awesome. Put a period at the end of God. Start a new sentence. If a basketball player is awesome, God isn't awesome. If a football player is awesome, then God is not awesome. God stands in a class all by himself, and he alone deserves to be worshipped and given the glory for his might and his power. He deserves to be praised. And then last but not least, I'm having a lot of fun today. Amen. I think the fourth thing that should incite a volcanic eruption of praise for God in your soul is the fact that God is eternal. He's an eternal God. Jesus said, pray for thine, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, for just 90 seconds, I want you to wrap your brain around what I'm about to say. Think about this. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Notice, God has no beginning. God has no end. Think about that. I, I dare you to go home today and sit in a dark room 
and ask yourself this one question. Where did God come from? And just sit there and think back, 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 back. And before you have a stroke, stop thinking back. Because it will blow your mind. The Bible declares that God came from nowhere. Now try to grasp this. There has never been a time that God has not been. He has no beginning and he has no end. He just is. Or he said, I am the great I am. This means that God lives eternally, catch this, in the present tense. He has no future. He has no past. Everything for God is right now. 50 million years from now for us is right now for God. Three million years ago for us right now is, is right now to God. He is so big. He is so mighty. He is so powerful that he sees all of history at one time. Right now as though it's present to him. Kind of like if you go to a, a parade and you stand on the street, you'll see one float pass by. And a few minutes later, you'll see another float pass by. And a few minutes later, you'll see another float pass by because you have to watch the parade linear, linear, linearly, linearly. <laughs> but that's not where God lives. God lives in the Goodyear blimp. Amen. He looks down. He sees the whole parade from start to finish as one. All of history is simultaneous with God. Well, Luke, why should I praise God for that? Because, friends, it means that you can trust him because he sees the whole thing. He sees Adam and Eve and the very end of mankind all as one. He's seen the whole picture. He sees you're lying up and he sees you're getting up in the morning. He sees your yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He sees the pain and the heartache you're going through right now. And he sees the joy and, and, and the, the expression of, of fulfillment and joy you're going to experience tomorrow. The reason why I believe in hell and heaven is because he's already been there and he said in his word, it's real. He sees it all. So friends, what I've been trying to make you understand for the last 25 minutes is this. When you start to wrap your brain around this God we serve, when you start to understand how good he is, how loving he is, how majestic he is, you can't keep it in. You got to let it out sometimes. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I know sometimes people around you won't understand. I know sometimes people will think you've lost your mind or lost your sophistication. Kind of like when David started dancing before the ark of the Lord, the presence of God. And his wife said, hey, you're not being dignified. You're the king. You shouldn't act this way. What are you doing? And David turned and said, honey, if you only knew God like I knew God, if you only understood what I understand, then you wouldn't act so cute. You'd be dancing the night away with me, as Lionel Richie said. Because you understand who this God is and what he's done. And when you get that, you just can't keep it in. There has to be at times outlets of our praise. So as we close this seven-week teaching on the Lord's Prayer, today is the culmination of it. Today is the grand finale. 
I have one final question. There's one second left on the shot clock. The ball's passed in. You don't have time to set your feet. You catch it and throw it up toward the basket. And as the ball travels through the air, the entire crowd watches with, with their eyes wide open. The ball fall out of the air into the hoop, touching nothing but net. I have one question for you. What are you going to say at that moment? Nice shot. Nice shot. That was great. I've seen you all football games. I've seen you all basketball games. What are you going to say? That was exciting. Or is someone going to say, yeah, yeah, our God wins. Our team wins. Look, some of you still aren't getting it. So let me ask it another way. Have anyone here ever seen God make a shot for you? Anybody here ever seen God kick a ball through the uprights for you? Anybody ever seen God come through for you? Then stop acting so sophisticated. Give him glory. Don't be cute. Give him glory. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he deserves to be praised. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Thank you for watching this message today. I believe that right now as you're watching this video, God is speaking to your heart. God is speaking to you about a new life, a new future, a new hope. 
The Bible says that the way we connect with God is we actually call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's almost like taking your cell phone out and making a call to somebody that you really love. You're making the call. And I want to encourage you to make the call to God today. And as you do, he promises to forgive your sins, to adopt you into his family, and to give you a hope and a future. So today, if you are ready to call upon the name of the Lord, would you just close your eyes right now and just sincerely say these words to God. Dear Heavenly Father, just say those words. I ask you today to be the leader of my life. I ask you to forgive me for my sins and adopt me into your family. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. So I give you my heart today. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says if you prayed that prayer, he heard you and he forgave you. So I want to say to you, welcome to the family of God. Go find a great church to be involved in. If you don't have one, come join us here at Dream City and we'll help you live out the Christian faith and grow closer to Jesus. God bless you all.